Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This show is brought to you by C5 CCIM Global Summit. You want to check this out. It's September 28th to September 30th. I'll give you the website so you can learn more. It is c5globalsummit.realestate. Is it C5GlobalSummit.realestate? So check it out. Well, today we have a great show for you. We're going to talk about the U.S. Deals 2023 Mid-Year Outlook from PwC. And PwC does a great job of looking at the market, what's going on, what's moving ahead, where are we, where are we going. Please welcome my guest. It's Tim Bodner. He's Global Real Estate Deals Leader for PwC. Tim, good to see you. Good to see you again, Michael, and do this in person. Which yeah. Is- Makes it a lot more fun. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Studio One here in Atlanta. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Of course. Um, and I guess well, the first thing I want to ask you what, what you're seeing out there and what you're expecting moving forward is just transaction volume, right? So we're, we're brokers here throughout the Southeast and, you know, we're seeing you know, transaction volume down uh, from our desk, but we're starting to see pick up a little bit. What, what do you, what's, what's really going on? Yeah. I mean, so I think number one, the point that needs to be acknowledged is transaction volume is down. It's in particular down significantly from 2021, right? Which was a year that was, when you look at it by all measures, an anomalous year. So we need need to acknowledge that that it's down. The second point we need to acknowledge is that it's much more challenging to get deals done in this environment than it has been. There's there's financing issues. There's we're still dealing with inflation we're dealing with a shifting uh monetary policy we still have geopolitical implications so it's it's a challenging environment having said all that not only here in the us and around the world we still are seeing deals get done in sectors where there's strong uh trends behind them and we can certainly talk about what some of those are so for those market participants that are creative patient and willing to take the long view uh that's who we're seeing be active and in this environment. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of investors that on the sidelines, but then we're also seeing a lot of investors that are taking advantage of the uh, lack of competition, the lack of buyer competition, and you know that there's more properties that the you know it's like I've had some land buyers that tell me yesterday it's well you know what we couldn't buy any land for the last several years because the apartment developers would outbid us like but now we can buy land again. It's it's <laughs> incredible, and I think on that particular point that you mentioned around buyers who previously were priced out. Uh, two interesting points, I think, for folks to kind of consider is, number one, we're, we're seeing uh, family offices and high net worth individuals around the world being increasingly focused on opportunities within U.S. real estate. Uh, and that, I think, is attributable in large part to what you just hit on, which is that they feel like they're in a position of strength in this environment, whereas before they were uh, competing against much deeper pools of capital. Mm-hmm. The second thing that um, I think we would we should acknowledge is that the sovereign wealth funds, in particular from Asia and the Middle East, are aggressively uh, looking at how their deployment of capital into into U.S. real estate. We've seen a number of examples of deals getting done by those market participants here, but that is attributable to, to the environment. And so it'll be interesting to see when that balance shifts back to more of the traditional 
buyers that we saw in prior cycles. Yeah. Well, it's a good time, I think, for investors to be looking at the U.S. I mean, if you look at real estate as, as usually a long-term hold, right? Yeah. Um, so if you're getting at a lower basis, uh, you're getting better pricing, right, on a long-term hold. It makes sense. I know a lot of the properties I own, I've owned a, a long time. And yeah. if, if maybe, you know, it almost doesn't matter what I pay for them you know, <laughs> when you own them long enough. That's right. That, yeah. And we're seeing that. I mean, I yeah. was just on a conversation with yeah. a large <clears throat> sovereign wealth fund uh, yesterday morning talking about a, a, mm -hmm. a large manufactured housing portfolio. And we were talking about the exit cap rate. And the minute the conversation shifted to like, listen, this is a long-term hold. These are high quality assets that are in markets that would take years to kind of replicate that portfolio. The conversation around the exit cap rate completely came off the table and it all became about what's what's the cash flow, the near-term cash flow, and what's gonna be the, the way to drive value creation, which is something that we're seeing a lot of attention on in this environment where, which is, okay, we have the portfolio. How do we actually uh, double down on how we create value in, inside of the assets. And so to your point where you can hold it long enough, which a lot of these investor pools that we were just talking about, family offices, high net worth individuals, sovereign wealth funds, that's where the conversation shifts pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah good point. So we're talking with Tim Bodner about their U.S. deals 2023 mid-year outlook. And of course, one of the things that impacts commercial real estate is the financing market yeah. of banks. So, you know, as you look here mid-year, what do you see there? The financing markets mm -hmm. are still incredibly challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at it, the CMBS market is uh, yet to kind of come back to, to where it, it needs to be. The the banks are, have certainly pulled back uh, on uh, their lending from where they were. There's still uh, stress in uh, the regional banking system. And we have the overhang of what the, what the regulators are going to do around capital requirements. And so when you put all those factors together, the financing markets overall are, are still challenging. Having said that, there still are uh, financings getting done. We were talking before uh, we came on about the effect of lower loan, lower loan to value ratios, uh, different coverage levels, different terms. So there still are financings getting done. And so that that's a good thing. The other interesting thing that I think will be interesting to see what happens is the amount of capital that's going into private credit is at an all-time high. And some some have referred to this as the golden age of opportunity in private credit. You've even had some people say that the best investment in this market is uh, investing in office debt, right? Which mm -hmm. is which is kind of quite. And I think it's a little bit unclear at this stage to what degree the private credit market can absorb the pullback in the, the traditional real estate financing markets. But certainly we continue to see around, not just here in the US, but around the world, a lot of focus on, the, on uh, private credit. The last point I think I'll mention on this is to what extent the activities of the insurance companies that are sponsored by some of the large alternative asset managers, to what extent do they try to step in and kind of create some type of liquidity with the regional banks in order to kind of jumpstart the engine that we all know is so important to the function commercial real estate markets, which is a healthy re regional banking system. Yeah, that's true. Tim, what do you think about the governmental impact, uh, what's going on with government spending on commercial real estate? 
Yeah, so I think there's there's a couple ways to to come at this. I, certainly, when you look at the the real estate that the government directly owns, office buildings, particularly where I live in in Washington D.C., it's mm-hmm. it's an area where the you know the 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 government is certainly still trying to get people to come back uh, into those buildings, and so it's a, it's still if you look at that pool of assets, I think it's a little bit unclear in markets like D.C. Um, how that gets done. I think the other interesting way to look at this is the <clears throat> real estate impact of some of the policies that the, that this administration has um, implemented, in particular, things like the Inflation Reduction Act, the Infrastructure Bill, the CHIPS Act. Like when you look at you know places like here in Atlanta, places like Phoenix, uh, Arizona, as an example, Texas, uh, the amount of money that they're kind of um, influencing being put into creation of manufacturing facilities, whether it be uh, battery um, e- battery manufacturing facilities, uh, semiconductor man- manufacturing facilities, other things associated with uh, ESG related topics, is there's a, a significant amount of volume, and in some respects, it, it might not be it might be the the next attractive investment opportunity. Yeah, yeah, good point. And uh, let's talk about some of the. Um, the sectors sure. and what you're seeing and let's talk about some of the more niche sectors but let's start with some of the the big ones industrial real estate yeah. what's your mid-year outlook there well l- listen mm-hmm. industrial continues to see you know incredibly low vacancy and it's still um, by all measures i think you know the place where people have the most conviction what's interesting i think is some people are starting to question is how much can industrial valuations increase mm-hmm. before it kind of reach a capacity? In fact, one of the large uh, alternative <clears throat> sponsors was on uh, one of the, uh, I think it was the CNBC or a week or so ago, and he got asked that question. And I think it's it's unclear. Yeah. But having said all that, there's still, it's undeniable that there continues to be more commerce going online. And that is uh, a good thing for, uh, for industrial, and so we're still optimistic about it. Um, but I do think that uh, it it is a little bit uh, time to be a little bit more cautious than where it was before, because the some of the the opportunities around valuation increases, mark to market on rents, it's it's different in, than it was in some cases. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, retail. Yeah. What do you see there? Yeah, retail is funny because you know when I think we've the last you know five. 10 years, everyone was talking about how retail was not going to exist anymore. And now when you look at it today, certainly <clears throat> there's been a lot of retail <clears throat> that has been repurposed. But in many respects, real retail real estate is actually doing quite well right now, yeah. right? When you look at grocery anchor retail, when you look at retail that's attached to ex- mixed-use developments, experiences, it's uh, where a lot of capital is is going, which is uh, incredible when you consider some of the negativity around it over the last number of years. Yeah, you know, we I live here in Atlanta, and uh, it's uh, the retail in Atlanta is just super busy. It's like every market I go to, it's, they're just packed. Yeah, like people spending money. <laughs> well, and I think you know, it's what's interesting is that the other thing that we're seeing happen in retail is the the, the tenant base is shifting. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of, in, a, in a number of the large malls, for example, we're seeing a lot of the large owners uh, being aggressive around competitive socialization. And so if you think about concepts like Top Golf 
in different sports. You think about sports like soccer or you think about baseball or basketball. A lot of the tenants, those their demand, their space requirements are quite large. So they're aggressively looking at bringing some of those tenants into their uh, centers or, or facilities in order to kind of create and pickleball. Yeah, I mean, where do you where do you stop on on pickleball? I don't. You can't talk to anyone these days without saying without them talking about their last pickleball game. Right. 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 So, yeah. so yeah, it's another great example. And yeah. um, there's so the tendency of the retail centers is changing. But what's interesting is if you look internationally in places like Singapore or the Middle East, the retail center is actually that's where people go for an experience. Right. They they drop. I was in Singapore a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to one of the large investors down there and, and they, they were saying that culturally what happens there is they go there on the weekends, they drop their kids off at enrichment centers and then they go and they spend their whole day in the mall and they go back and pick them at the end of the day. I think what will be interesting to see is how much does the U.S. learn from that and does that become more commonplace here, which is, I mean, if you remember, remember when I was little, like that was, that's what we, we went to the mall all the time. Right. Does that change more? And then is that more right. what, what we do here just to be around other people and do things? So it's, yeah. it's certainly an interesting space to watch. Yeah, it is. And I, I think it will will continue to be uh, happen and be more experience uh, involved. So let's talk about multifamily. Yeah. Certainly it's had a, a, a great ride and it seems like we still need more housing. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, the, there's when you look around the U.S., the multifamily market is in a different place than it was uh, you know, historically, you know, I, we talked on, on the last time we were here about how much longer can rents run. And mm -hmm. I think we're at a point now where that's certainly being inflected. However, there's still an acute uh, shortage of housing in this country. And so uh, in we see multifamily development still happening around the country. And even, like, even in D.C., which might surprise some people, there's a lot going on. So. Um, it's still a sector that uh, we feel op we're optimistic about and think that allocate will capital will focus on, but it's it's it's, it's a little bit it's time to be a little bit more cautious. Mm -hmm. What's also interesting about if you look kind of back up and look at residential more broadly, um, we do see a lot of attention on affordable housing, and there's a number of different ways that people are expressing that. One is uh, manufactured housing, where we are seeing a number of large deals in the pipeline that people are, are trying to get done uh, in the manufactured housing uh, sector, particularly uh, in the Southeast. And also the creation of affordable housing strategies that may not be connected to, to certain federal programs, but that are done at a price point that is more affordable. And um, the main, when you talk to the the sponsors behind those, the CEOs, the the capital providers, their motivation for that is is very much a social motivation. It's about a realization that we do have a real problem that we need to we need to fix. So, when you look at it holistically, encompassing of all of residential, it's still an opportunity. It's still an area where we see a lot of people focusing uh, their capital on. How about student housing? Yeah, I mean, listen. What's what's fascinating about student housing is um, we don't have any uh, public student housing companies any longer. They've all been taken uh, private. Um, and so the, the cost of capital um, is much different than it was historically. And so what we're seeing in the student housing space is a number of universities uh, looking at <clears throat> programs like the 501c3 structure and how can they 
leverage the the favorable financing market to to create new student housing developments. But the, but it's but it's it's a reality. We don't have enough student housing in this country or candidly around the world. And there's been plenty of examples of places like California where students are sleeping in their cars because they don't have enough they don't have enough housing in California. And there's been a number of people and uh, people like um, Charlie Munger and the like who have been very vocal about how do we create more uh, student housing capacity in the uh, state of California uh, system. So um, it's an area where we're seeing a lot of activity for sure, but the, the way it gets financed is being as much different than it was historically, yeah. for yeah. sure. We're, we're, as brokers, we're still seeing really low cap rates on student housing and yeah. on multifamily, you know, uh, certainly lower than the interest rates they're having to pay yeah. if they're financing them. So negative leverage. Yeah. Um, what about senior housing? You know, it seems like senior took a real hit COVID uh, yeah. and, 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 and transaction volume dropped significantly. As, as brokers, our senior housing division is, is getting quite busy again. What do you see overall that when you, when you look at the market? Yeah, I, well, I think <clears throat> when you look at healthcare real estate mm -hmm. overall, it's still an area where there's pockets of capital that uh, see opportunity there. I, what I would say is that there there is a, to some degree in certain pockets of the senior housing real estate ecosystem, there is still concern around the regulatory impact of certain government programs and what happens with reimbursements and the like. Mm -hmm. So I would say there's caution uh, but I'm balanced when you look at it holistically. It's an area where certain pools of capital still see uh, opportunity broadly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we certainly uh, see that, and I think senior housing is not into its prime years yet, right? Until the baby boomers get get up in age. Yeah, well, that's a big. Yeah. There's a there's a large uh, uh, shift in the mm -hmm. demographics of this this country for for sure. I think what would be interesting to see is. How, how does what does the the senior housing of the future look like and how much of it's part of uh, other kind of like mixed use mm -hmm. developments, for example, for the reason that, you know, people, you know, you know, are aging, but they want to still want to be part of a, yeah. an experience that, you know, enables them to do things that they otherwise couldn't do or just get to certain places easier than they otherwise would have, like the grocery store and yeah. and the like. So uh, yeah. it's an really interesting space to watch. Yeah, and 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 knock a wood, I'm not the, the senior housing <laughs> age yet, but uh, I have a home on, on a lake here in, in yeah. north of Atlanta, and I keep a place in town that isn't a mixed use development, and you know it's really nice just to walk out and have everything. It's just like a great lifestyle. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine. What what age would you want to not have that? I mean, that's just fantastic. It, it is, yeah. and I, what's incredible is how much of that is still real estate development is going on yeah. in that respect across the, the country. I mean, just, um, we were talking a little bit before about, like, for example, the wharf in D.C. or, or um, even National Landing, which is where uh, the second Amazon headquarters just went in, and the amount of uh, energy around mixed use development and people wanting to be part mm -hmm. of that is at a level that um, you know hasn't been seen before. In fact, if you go down to the wharf on a weekend, good luck finding a parking spot after after five. Yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. That's where people want to be. So uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see.
That's cool. What about the hospitality market, the hotels? It seems like they got really busy after uh, COVID uh, kind of ended, I guess. Sure. Yeah, I mean, listen, um, when you look at RevPAR mm-hmm. across, um, you know, both the, the you know major gateway cities and even some of, some of the secondary markets, it's still uh, quite strong relative to 2019. It's above, it's still above 2019 levels, which is kind of incredible to think about. However, there is a little bit of kind of like a, a softening in, in the RevPAR level. So I think it's it's an area where people need to be cautious. We saw this week a number of uh, hotels by one large owner being yeah. going back to the lender. So uh, we saw it in, in certain uh, cities on the West Coast a, a couple of weeks ago. So it's a place to be cautious. Having said all that, when you look at the amount of capital being put into uh, all-inclusive resorts and um, uh, experiential resorts by the large brands, extended say, even extended say uh, brand, there's still a lot of capital going in, a lot of development. So it's an area where you still see a lot of optimism, but it, but you, but it's one to kind of be careful on because there are certain pockets of the country that are uh, experiencing uh, stress. Yeah. Tim, where do you think there's some opportunities out there in some of the various sectors and geographic areas? Yeah. So I think one thing that we 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 need to kind of continue to focus on is the the amount of GDP that is being shifted from the Northeast to the Southeast and the Southwest. When you look at uh, places like uh, Georgia, where, where we're sitting, you look at the Carolinas, you look at Florida, you look at Texas, uh, you look at markets like Arizona, there is a significant amount of GDP that's being shifted in those markets. And so that's something I think we need to be uh, conscious of in terms of how we allocate capital from a real estate perspective. We talked earlier about the effects of the governmental programs on manufacturing facilities. Like a lot of that's happening in those uh, states I just mentioned. So what will be interesting to see is the indirect impact on sectors like office, industrial, retail of being in those markets and just, we see more valuation increases, a cap rate compression and the like, and the more stronger rent growth in those markets, do we see capital um, moving in the market? So I would say that those, the Southeast and the Southwest are the markets uh, to watch uh, for, sh- for sure right now. In terms of opportunities, we, we continue to see, uh, and we talked to some of the, the prominent design firms about what they are seeing in their pipeline in terms of activity. Anything kind of around experiential related, there's a lot of conviction still. And there's a number of ways to express that. We talked about mixed use development. We can talk about sports. We can talk about what's happening in Las Vegas with all the new uh, development. We could talk about casinos. We can talk about wellness, real estate. We're seeing a lot of capital focusing on those that broader theme and expressing it differently. But the idea that that's where they see kind of some white space where there's there's not a lot of um, r- the risk is lower and there's not a lot of competition. So that's uh, kind of the new ish space to watch in terms of the traditional food groups. I think we should watch office. Right. Mm-hmm. I think people are very negative on it, but we are starting to see some people take the contrarian view and go go do, take take some positions that you were talking about a couple of deals that you guys have been working on in the space. And we think that's like a, a space to watch just given the amount of negative negativity around it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. We're seeing even some of the really high quality, nicer properties sell at a higher cap rate. So you have a lower basis and then 
we're seeing a lot of the distressed office, uh, people are getting some real bargains. It'll be interesting hmm. to see how much money's made from the contrarian investors there. That's right. Yeah. Um, we just got our first uh, foreclosure uh, listing on an office building and it's medical and lab space. So it's like, all right, so if somebody's got a tenant or a user, it's a, a big home run, That's you know, right. and it's in Atlanta. So it's like, uh, you know, the, as you mentioned, the medical MOBs and medical office buildings are selling really well. Yeah. Our government off leased office buildings are selling really well. It's like, oh, well, you figure they're going to pay the rent because they're going to take the money from us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they're going to pay the Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and they they see, you know, we, we talk to a lot of leaders uh, that are on the uh, in these buildings and they and, and uh, almost every one of them says we got to get our people back in the office. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting, though, like mm-hmm. we, you know, c- certainly it feels like the momentum is shifting. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if. You know, there's for for months that the headlines been that office utilization is lower than it has been. But over the last number of week, if you look at the castle statistics or you look at some of the some of the markets like New York, there's this it feels like the narrative shifting a little bit to be one more of being optimistic. Well, like maybe like people actually will come back mm-hmm. to the to the to the sit the major cities and they're not just gonna sit in there their uh their house all day yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i agree i think it's going to come back faster and stronger than than people realize i think we're just get so used to behavior we have now of, of a lot of people's behaviors not to work you yeah. know? <laughs> or to just work at home and not be as concerned about being productive well just look at if you go back to mm-hmm. where we were during at the beginning of COVID, when people said that nobody was ever going to go back to a, a retail shopping center again and we we just spent time talking about that it's certainly we shouldn't be naive to say that you know go back and say office is going to be exactly what it was before right you know sure retail is not the same as what it was before but to say that people aren't gonna spend time in an office anymore i think is is a little bit like saying there there won't be any retail centers anymore yeah good point well tim what would you leave our audience to think about Oh, well, I th- yeah. Well, so we we continue to see. Uh, um, I think the number one point would be that number one, where you invest does matter, and that there are opportunities in the market. And the second thing we would say is, um, this is a time to be creative. And if you go back for years, we were talking about this before uh, we came on. For decades, real estate investors have had to navigate market cycles and they've all, they found a way to get through it. And this is just another one of those cycles that it's while there's challenges, there's a lot of opportunity. And we think that uh, people will find a way way through and we'll have some bumps on the way. But on the other side, I think we'll look back and say, was we've, we, we did it again, not just like we did before. Yeah, well, good point. And I think if you're uh, uh, own properties, your asset manager, and you're thinking it's not the right time to sell, I think one of the things we're finding as brokers on the on the front lines here is that there's a lack of supply. Um, so we're still getting multiple bids and multiple buyers for most everything that we take out. And I think uh, I'd leave a message for, for lenders. I think this is a great opportunity uh, to build relationships, do some great loans while you have uh, less competition, you're probably getting a lower loan to value, you're probably getting better underwriting. You probably have, hopefully, you don't have rate risk at maturity. Yeah. Let's not, let's hope rates aren't <laughs> significantly higher when these loans mature. That's right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, your point, we're seeing some investors that they kind of are really um, ringing their uh, 
pushing their what do you call it wringing your hands together yeah and they're just they're happy I, there's less competition uh than getting the lower bases uh and and do some good deals well tim thanks for being here great information great to as see usual you. Yeah. good report thank you and thank you for joining us around the country while watching or listening thanks for sharing please connect with us on your social media and until next week be sure that you always lead learn and laugh and join us for america's commercial real estate show Appreciate the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.